Hi, this is Chris from Canopy and Stars, and welcome once again to A Life More Wild. In this episode, we're exploring solace and self-discovery in the outdoors. Later on, we'll be talking to Chris Helenga, founder of the breast cancer awareness charity Copperfeel, about listening to her body, making difficult choices, and giving it all up to run an ice cream van. But first, we're in one of London's biggest parks with presenter, podcaster, and writer Fern Cotton as she takes us to some of the special places that have carried her through some difficult times. When you're out in a place like this, none of that stuff really matters. I mean, it doesn't matter anyway, but it really doesn't matter here because these gorgeous, handsome trees don't care who I am or what I said or what I didn't do. It's a place that's helped her cope with loss and switch off from the constant background noise of life, as well as giving her some of her best ideas. We are in Richmond Park in southwest London, and it happens to be a very delightful sunny day, thankfully. So beautiful today to see that the sky is this very, very deep blue, combined with the lush green leaves we've got on the trees. Thank goodness. I so look forward to when the trees get leaves on them again. It just looks dense and beautiful in here. And the other cool thing about being in Richmond Park is that King Henry VIII used to romp around here on his horses. And that always sort of blows my mind. Like, what? King Henry VIII, who's sort of this almost mythical character in history because it feels so long ago and he was so, you know, extreme in character. But yeah, he would be romping around here on a horse. It's mad. So what I'd love to do now is go on a bit of a walk in a loop. First of all, through quite an open area where we might see some deer and we might see some parakeets and loop back round in a circle to Penn Ponds where there's one particular pond, a small pond, that has some really sort of special family meaning for us. So my parents are really into keeping active and walking and that's certainly been a big part of my whole life, I guess, really. I grew up in the suburbs, so, you know, we didn't have loads of greenery and outside space to explore when I was younger. But I've always needed to get out and walk and be outside. I think I'm a bit of a fidget, naturally, so I need something to counterbalance all the sitting down inside. I think I've always been like it since I was a kid. Yeah, I'm big on movement. Just, you know, walking for me is enough. I used to be really into, like, running long distance and whatnot. And these days are sort of I'm slightly lazier, I guess. And I just really enjoy a nice, peaceful mooch about. Like, I've had so many cool walks in this park because I come in here almost daily. So we've walked out of the really sort of dense tree-lined area of the park that runs around most of the perimeter of it and we're in quite an open spot a lot of people walk their dog here there's often sort of deer roaming around this section but i can't see any today there's some very pretty little butterflies mooching about which is very lovely as well and then you can see a little glimpse of london in the distance there and actually if you walk more to the right and you end up on a bit more of a slope you can see the shard and the london silhouette which 
Some people love. I don't love it because I'm pretending that I'm in the countryside while I'm in here. Oh, you can see the shard. There it is. Just in between the trees. That for me is like, ah, I don't want to know that that's really busy and there's people in there right now. But it depends what floats your boat. And I'm definitely trying to escape that rather than remember that it exists. My job has, as much as I love it, and I really do love it, and I feel very lucky that I get to do it, the thing that I've struggled with relentlessly over the last 25 years is sort of outside opinion and outside commentary and how that has so directly affected my own self-worth and sort of perfectionism that I can often really cling on to and when you're at home and you're on your phone or you're doing emails you're working whatever it is you get so sucked into all of that and it just chips away at you know confidence and all the important things that we need to go out and enjoy ourselves so this park has provided an essential break from all of that craziness just to be able to get out come rain or shine or snow we've had some amazing snowy times in here with the kids i think most people in the public eye conflate other people's ideas with their own and i've certainly done that certainly in my 20s i think you do feel like your personality is made up of just other people's opinions exclusively at times i think so I've definitely had to, you know, really focus on that and make sure that I'm just going back to what I know to be the truth and, and also being flexible in that way because I don't even know exactly who I am and what I'm meant to be doing and I want to be open-minded about it all really because I think as soon as we become too set in stone about ideas around ourselves we get a bit stuck and probably a bit defensive and we just become too wedded to the idea of like I am this and you put all the different labels in place I'm a mum I'm a whatever you do for a living I'm a friend I'm bad at this I'm good at that so you know I think it's constantly like a daily thing I have to work with because I have people telling me what they think of me all the time good and bad and you almost have to ignore both because I don't think it's particularly healthy to hugely take either of those ideas on really but it's much easier said than done the thing that this park has provided more than anything is ideas I reckon every book idea I've ever had has been whilst I've been walking or running in this park. And I actually just thought of a new book idea whilst I was running in here about a month ago. I don't think I can access those sorts of ideas in the home because well, I've usually got kids shouting at me, but you know, also it's just always washing to be doing or the cats meowing at me or doorbells going and I just need to have zero distraction so I've had probably all my best ideas in here I reckon oh there's some parakeets they make that little squawky noise this bit that we're walking up to now is really beautiful there's this kind of like alleyway of trees 
and then you look to the left and you can see in a minute the White Lodge Ballet School which is a really grand beautiful building and then just over that little hill there there's an area called Penn Ponds it's a huge one and there's some smaller ones and one of the smaller ones is like it's like our little sort of spot to go and pray in a non-religious sense I'm not religious so you can just see the ponds there just ahead I think because I'd had a bad patch of mental health in my early 30s I started to feel like I was moving out of that period with a bit more clarity and you know I don't think you well for me personally it's not like and then I was fixed you know it was just like a feeling of oh, I think I'm ready for something a bit gentler and just looking at what makes me feel really good rather than being caught up in this vortex of having to just do stuff all the time and worrying what other people think about me or whatever it might be. When you're out in a place like this none of that stuff really matters. I mean it doesn't matter anyway but it really doesn't matter here because these gorgeous handsome trees don't care who I am or what I said or what I didn't do and the deer that are chilling out under the tree they don't give a toss if my project's done well or hasn't done well or whatever it is, all the little parakeets, they're not judging me on any level. So I think it is a real grounding sort of leveller. Yeah, it's essential for me to get in here and just get back to what is real rather than all the nonsense that I can get a bit over-consumed and overwhelmed by. So yeah, the pond is sort of towards this area a little bit. It's really sparkly, the water today. It's lovely. This is one of the smaller ponds amongst the Penn Ponds collection. I don't know how many ponds there are, but it's potentially the smallest out of the ponds. And it's where Jesse's mum's ashes are, his uncle Brian... Two of our cats, Rudy and Tallulah, and also more recently, our friend Alan, whose daughter Kerry very kindly gave us some of the ashes. She gave them out to people that loved Alan dearly. So this is certainly a place that we come to to sort of remember those people, and most definitely for Jesse is where he comes to chat to his mum. He comes here weekly if he's walking or running, and he'll just sit and have a little chat with his mum and send a little prayer up to her. So yeah, it's a very special place for all of us. I'm like a super emotional person and I'm always going through something. So, oh my God, I've cried in this park more than I've done anything, I reckon, because I feel very flawed by the beauty of it, which I think always releases emotion. I don't want to suppress emotion. I don't want to keep it all pent up. So I know that if I come in here and I put some... Ludovico and Audi in my headphones I'll probably have a cry and you know that is an important thing but certainly after my cat died last year you know who I'd had for 20 years I came in here yeah like two or three times a day for short walks just to like cry and get it out of me and sort of remember her and honour her and it was a really like lovely part of that grieving process really. Thank you.
I'm naturally, I'm not ashamed to say this, you know, really quite ambitious and I really like being ambitious. You know, I'm constantly having ideas. My brain doesn't stop, which is good and bad because a lot of the time I exhaust myself and then I can't sleep at night and it's, you know, and I wake up in the morning and straight away there goes my brain worrying or pondering or creating ideas. So I do still have a lot of goals and a lot of dreams and that makes me feel good. I just try and not get too hung up on when it's finished or what that finished thing looks like and if it turned out how I thought it was going to because really most of the best bits of my career have happened unplanned and the stuff that I've really held tightly onto in terms of dreams and ideas have usually fizzled out because there was a, a ceiling of sorts and I've gone oh well I've done that now whereas all the like happy place stuff I didn't plan any of this this just all happened by accident so I've learned that if I'm too rigidly thinking of goals then I'm closing the door to loads of other things that I don't even know are possible so I'm trying to just be a bit more open-minded, I guess, really. I think it's important to be out in nature or we feel particularly drawn to it when looking at mental health because we are it. And the modern world has told us that that's not the case more recently. And we're going, oh, wait a minute, we are it. There is no difference. So we're just being brought back to the truth of, oh yeah, I am part of this rather than the separate entity. If we go down this little path to the left, that will wind us back out again. Look how pretty that all looks now. It's all filled out, lovely and green. Oh, there's some deer. I thought they were logs. Can you see just under the tree, over the other side of the road? Little heads. They're all just chilling in the shade. Oh, they're so cute. They're adorable. I love them. One of the things that stands out listening to Fern is the sense of how important it is to find or create your own space. This was something that founder of breast cancer awareness charity Copperfield, Chris Halenga, learned at several stages of her life. From diagnosis with breast cancer to founding, building, and then choosing to step away from the charity, to follow who she really was and what made her happy. Which turned out to be Cornwall and ice cream. Well, first of all, thanks so much for coming on and for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So obviously, podcast is all about nature and your relationship with it. So tell us where you are right now. What's your nearest bit of lovely outdoors? Um, I am in Cornwall, so I'm I'm a stone's throw away from the beach. 
I'm looking at some greenery outside. I'm at my sister's house. Yeah, and it, where I live in Newquay, I uh, I can walk down to the beach and it's my absolute, it's heaven, pure heaven. <laughs> <laughs> um, I imagine that lots of people listening to this will already know a little bit about you, but give us a very like potted history of setting up the charity and and that sort of that journey mm-hmm. i mean i know it's quite a long one yeah <laughs> yeah uh where do i start it's been 13 years no um so i was diagnosed with breast cancer when i was 23 which is 13 years ago and i um, found it quite late because um i wasn't aware that i should get to know my body and know my boobs and so by the time it was found it was a late stage diagnosis so it spread to other parts of my body and so it was not curable, but it was treatable. And thankfully for 13 years, we've thrown different things at it that have somehow kept me alive. Um, but from the very beginning, I was a bit baffled and a bit frustrated by the way my diagnosis happened. And also that I was so unaware of the need to know myself and know my body. So having done a bit of research and realizing that no one was speaking to young people about breast cancer signs and symptoms, I set up a charity called Copperfield, um, which is still running today. Sadly, there is still 13 years on a need for it. We haven't solved the issue yet. Every day, someone will be diagnosed with breast cancer. And sadly, a lot of cases are still diagnosed late when it can't be cured. But we are, we are certainly changing things and we are starting to gradually change people's behavior and attitude towards getting to know themselves from a younger age. So yeah, it's been a journey. <laughs> you got it onto the curriculum. Yes. Didn't you? That was that must have been a huge thing. Yeah, it was. It's just unfortunate that when it was due to start on the curriculum was sort of pandemic time and now we're in the sort of point at the point where we're trying to make sure that it's actually being taught and that teachers have the right materials to do that because they might see the curriculum, scratch their heads a bit and wonder what next. And that's what kind of where we come in and say, hey, we have all the lesson plan for you. We've been here. We know what you need to say to your students. But I think until someone tells you, hey, you did you know that you could find your own breast cancer and you can find it early and survive it? You don't know that. No, it's the sort of thing you think you need to rely on a doctor for. How could you possibly know about it? But yeah. Exactly. The power is in your hands, guys. <laughs> when I was reading the book, it sounded just incredibly frantic in those early days with the charity living in London. And I wondered how much you managed to get outside, how much of a part it played in your life at that point. Well, at, at the beginning, very little, because I had this, well, I, I had, I believed that in order for Copperfield to, to be really in people's lives and to make a real mark with it, I had to be in London because uh, that's where it all happens. <laughs> I mean, I was in London a lot. I spent most of my time there. And when I wasn't there, I was commuting back to Northamptonshire to start with to get treatment there. And so the only green I would see would be from the train. And then I'd be in a hospital and then I'd have to come back again. And then I moved all my treatment to London and I was going to Charing Cross Hospital and I'd have to walk through a graveyard to get there from the train station. And I think that, you know what, that is my only moment of peace, calm and greenery that I had before wow. stepping into a really crazy hospital department. And I think it makes you notice things a whole lot more. I would notice that the blossom was out because I think it's just not something that you see every day. And uh, 
I definitely took the moment to appreciate it before having to launch back into some heavy cancer stuff. So yeah, no, at the start, very little green time for sure. There was also in the book, there was sort of hints of travel stories. You know, there was a throwaway line. I went on a trip here for a bit. I went there mm-hmm. almost off the record. You know, she's like, that's my time away. And I'm not telling you about that. And so now I'm asking you about it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think one of my highlights, whenever people say, wh- wh- where would you go back to? What was your, you know, most epic place that you've been to? It was this onsen that I went to in Japan, which is basically a spa <laughs> in the mountains. And it's so, you just feel so part of nature there. And the only thing between you and nature is this like very thin rice paper door and window. And you're kind of like sleeping on the floor, but it's so comfy. It's just really incredible. And the food is amazing. And you're just in the mountains and you're just sort of, the air, I've just, I don't think I've ever smelled such cleaning and incredible air. So yeah, that was an amazing time. And I loved exploring new places and I loved, I love a holiday as much as the next guy. But I also just really appreciated what I had at home and I loved my life and I found it so exciting and exhilarating. So, and I think that is a really good place to be in when you can be excited about coming home, but also really appreciate the holiday. Yeah, I thought it was a lovely line when you said about bucket lists are for people who don't know what they want to do, who don't know what they want to do right now where they are. I thought that was such an interesting point. Bucket lists seem to be associated with cancer. There's no other disease that seems to be linked to doing things before you die. I don't ever hear that when it's talked about diabetes or heart disease or anything like that. Mm. But cancer seems to have this pressure. Well, cancer patients seem to have this pressure where you need to do all the things, live all the lives quick now before you die. Um, and I, 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 don't, I don't prescribe to that theory. I think if you can be happy with the life that you have here and now, then I think that's that's what you should be striving for. Because I think I am genuinely scared to lie on my deathbed and feel massive FOMO and feel like there's things that I still wanted to do. And so it became my aim to be happy with what I have done, happy with what I am doing, rather than constantly thinking about adding things to a list of places, like a long list of places that I might not see. I just hate the thought of that. And that's, not everyone feels that way. I feel like this is a very unique feeling and very personal to everyone. Um, but there certainly shouldn't be pressure to go and do all the things and see all the things if you don't want to do that. But then, so is that part of what fueled you? Because was it a few years ago when you stepped away from sort of the charity full time and moved down to Cornwall? Was that all part of that? Just I need to sort of have a bit more of a life for myself. Yeah, I, I, you know, I always hoped that I would manage to get to the ca- the charity to a place where it could survive without me. I think everyone should have some kind of an exit plan if they can, and I think for me it was very a very real exit plan, and it ne- and it needed to be discussed in meetings. So there needed to be a point where we could say, "Hey, what if Chris drops down dead tomorrow? What are we going to do with this charity?" Not that that would have happened because cancer doesn't. You don't seem to drop down dead with cancer. But anyway, I thought if I could get to the place where the charity could really thrive without me at the helm and I was still well enough to do life, then I would absolutely move to Cornwall and be near my twin sister and bring a bit of sort of expanse back into my life. So then you moved to a sort of more rural environment. 
did it yeah. take your time to adjust or were you just ready for it? Oh, I was so ready for it. <laughs> um, I think because I was, whenever I could, I was coming down to Cornwall to see Mara in any way. So it didn't feel like a massive leap to me. And I'd, I'd really had enough of London. I think you either get out or you stay forever, it seems. And I think some people really love the city life all their life. And I have huge respect for that. But I just knew that I needed to be able to see more expanse. I needed to see the sea. I needed to see the horizon. I needed to be able to see and breathe in just a bit cleaner air as well. Was that before or after I, I read the, about the Dr. Turner, her approach to the connectedness of everything? Yeah, Dr. Kelly Turner. So that sounds like an easier way to access that sort of thing is to come out of that frantic environment. What was so such a relief from reading Dr. Kelly's sort of nine things that are really important for cancer patients to kind of do or how they live, that most of them were an emotional being, that it was about who you were instead of what you were doing um, in terms of treatment or supplements or all the other things that you can do, obviously also important, but it was about who you are in the world and how you feel about who you are in the world. That was really important. Hmm. So I needed to come to Cornwall and stare at the ocean to finally allow myself to think about who I really was and what truly made me happy. I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. Yeah, I'll bet. And that's that's bowling around the countryside in the van, is it? Yeah. So a year after I moved, my sister and I bought this old vintage um, Citroen H van. Those one of those corrugated ones that you see used in a lot of food markets in London. Not that common here in Cornwall. Bought it off this guy on eBay and um, turned it into a cake and coffee truck. And then last year we started doing ice cream from the Harbour Niki. So a, ve- a million miles away from my life with cancer and my life running the charity, but still great. It's just it. we decided to focus on what made us happy, which was food coffee cake um and making people happy with those items and that was it really so you just eat your own profits all day all day (laughs) every day we make no money (laughs) (laughs) when i was reading the book there was a lovely line about creating a life that will draw people in rather than going out and finding people that will make you better yeah really interesting sort of flipping of that mindset just to say no i'm going to make myself good and then I will find good people come to me. Yeah, exactly. Be the attractive person to yourself, not to other people. And then as far as I can tell, make those people go in the sea and run charity yeah. things for <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love to peer pressure people into the sea, for sure. So um, whilst this is obviously a very nature-themed podcast, yes. having read your whole book, there's one question I just have to ask you. How are you feeling about the fact that Neighbours is ending? <laughs> Oh my god! I, I I I cannot talk about it, Chris. Like it just. <laughs> um, for the last day, we are actually going to be working from our van in New Key Harbour, and my sister and I have decided to dress up as one like characters from the show. Excellent. And then say to any customers, if you come to the van dressed up as a neighbour's character, you get a free cake and coffee. Amazing. And so you're lucky enough to live right down on the coast, right by the sea. You obviously have a much more immediate connection to nature now. Yeah. 
I was worried that I would take it for granted and get sick of the sight of the sea, but um, haven't. Every time I walk down to the sea, I am just so grateful to, well, be here, um, to see it, to be in it. Um, sometimes I get in it. Um, when I do go for a cold water swim, I just being fully immersed in that, it's almost like I shed everything else that's going on in my life away like everything falls away just literally for a millisecond but it's enough for me to kind of go all right I've got this I can I can keep going I feel so grateful that I literally have that at my disposal so quickly now but it's not just that it's even things like so in London yeah I was either walking through a graveyard to get to the hospital which was my only piece of green but then I'd have to get on a crowded underground train back home again and here what I have to contend with on the way home is maybe one or two tractors on the road but uh even today I had to go to hospital for a blood test and driving home just the hedgerows in May in Cornwall are insanely beautiful and everything is so lush and green now there's so much color in the hedges and I just thought Chris, well done for still noticing this. You've been here five years now. Well done for still appreciating this. And I'm I'm so glad that I still do and that it can take me away into a, a really happy place for a moment. That is why I made the best decision ever moving to Cornwall, <laughs> for sure. Well, I hope Fern and Chris made you realise how important it is to care for yourself and how small steps, as well as checking your boobs, can make a difference. Take a look at Fern's site Happy Place for some great ways to stay positive, including their awesome annual festival, or the Copperfield site for ways you can support a genuinely important cause. Remember to like, review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you outside again soon.